Yo. Welcome to another episode of the Where It Went podcast, where we only ever talk about the Revelation Records discography in chronological order, and we never do anything else. Well, that's a fucking lie, but today we are <laughs> we are on that track, that uh, path. We are discussing Revelation 036. Right, three seven. seven, three seven. What's three six? What did we do last? Three time? six is poetry of fire. That's right. And then three seven is sense field. But if you were to look on Wikipedia, it would say. Oh, I'm sorry. If you were to look at the insert, think, right? The insert says Rev thirty three, but it's Rev thirty seven. Well, that's fucking interesting, man. But you know um, why I know that? Why do you know that? Because I have your PDF that how, shows the Revelation Records discography in man. true chronological order that just really reinforces the need if you've never done so before to go to where it went podcast.com at the bottom there's an email that you can plug your email in there and we'll send you a master revelation records discography that i toiled away like one of santa's elves to bring you the most comprehensive Revelation Records discography on the planet. And when you're at where it went, you can also find a link to our Patreon where we offer all kinds of great stuff every month. Bonus content, early access, depending on your level of patronage, potentially a Christmas present access to a discord that has a bunch of really mellow fine gentlemen discussing hardcore and beyond every day i would say the 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 patreon is just an immersive experience that can lead bring you closer to us than you ever hoped for <laughs> and not to mention it does it does really help um you know i feel like i want to reiterate like this is not our job like we have real jobs um and other responsibilities and we're also not you know rev has been awesome but we're we're not employed by rev or signed a rev or anything like that like we're just fans labor of love yeah it's a labor of love but it does really help out for the amount of time and resources needed um and i will say that without getting too specific at this point, there's going to be a lot, like there's going to be more bonus content, um, you know, because of, I guess I can say like, you know, certain gaps possibly. And uh, you know, cause like we've said before, we want to make sure this is quality. So if we can get people that were on the records to talk about the records and we have to wait a week or two weeks before they're available, I don't know, but, you know, we, we have to do something. So they're, you know, we're deciding that maybe the best thing to do is just have actually more stuff for patrons um, and some really cool bonus content. We've got some stuff uh, that hasn't been published yet as of this episode, but uh, I don't know. I think, I think it's, it's, it's worth it and it's appreciated. It is appreciated very much. What do you think, Kav? Yes, I think that um, we have a lot to offer people for Patreon, and we have a lot of ideas 
of new and exciting and fun things that we can give people. So, you know what, for me, it's not about the money. It's about what can I do to serve you and to make you happy and to bring you a pleasurable experience. And you know what, anything that I can do to offset any uh, harm I may have caused you with some opinions then that's, you know, that's just what I have to do. So if I have to give you an episode a day early because you don't like what I have to say about Dag Nasty, then I'm willing to do that. <laughs> exactly. But I'm t- there, there, will be, there will be more bonus content um, coming uh, than before. And that's uh, all I can say for now. Down the pipe. And the Down bike. the pipe. Down but the before pipe. we get into uh, the, the this episode, the interview, uh, talking about the Sense Field self-titled, aka the Buddha album. Yeah. Do you think it might be time to? I want to give a bit of bow to uh, our dear friend who was on last episode, Oisey Ronsberger, and his label um, End Hits Records. We talked uh, with him. And we learned a lot about the label, but they just put out a new record uh, by a band uh, called uh, Duchamp, D-U-C-H-A-M-P. And I'm sorry if I'm butchering it. I would say Duchamp, uh, named after Teddy Duchamp from the movie Stand By Me. That's just... Yeah, that's what I thought. Oh, is it Duchamp? That's what I would say. I thought so, yeah. I mean, if you're French, they would probably say Duchamp. But Just like our friend... Jeremy Chatelon. Exactly. <laughs> Jeremy Chatelon. Bit of boat to Jeremy Chatelon. <laughs> Jeremy. Um, so the singer uh, of the of this band, Ingo, also fronts the, the German pop punk band, the Donuts. Um, not the Donuts off. Damn. Uh, and they're huge over there. Um, but their record came out maybe about two weeks ago. Uh, it's it is definitely just like Lifetime Kid Dynamite for mm-hmm. fans of that. Uh, it is available on Spotify and Hits, I believe, have it. Death Wish for us, you uh, United States folks. It looks like the LP sold out, but there is a CD. You can of course buy the digital files if you want to support. Um, guest vocals are provided on there by Jason Shevchuk from Kid Dynamite, our buddy Brian McTurnan. Be well, Dave Smalley from the aforementioned Dag Nasty, all DYS down by law, etc. Don't sleep, bit about it. Don't sleep, and those guys and and guest guitar from Stephen Edgerton from All and Descendants. Um, so definitely check it out if, if that if you're into you know fast catchy melodic hardcore punk, you will be sure to enjoy it. And it actually, I saw just charted in Germany, not sharded, charted, charted. Uh, num- yeah. number 12, oh, number nice. 12 on the German charts. Nice. Um, I also, because, you know, I follow end hits records on Instagram, Instagram.com slash end hits records. And um, there is another band on that label called shoreline and they have a new single called konichiwa and the video for that song is quite entertaining and i uh, suggest you check that out Uh, i you know i kind of had no idea how varied the end hits records catalog was 
until we did that conversation with Oise and I, and I poked yeah. into it more. Um, I know it's a little bit verboten uh, at this stage, but they also put out a record by a band called Wolf Down and um, Incite and Conspire. And that record is like if you took... I don't know. It's really good. It sounds like a more accessible hate breed if you're into that kind of heavy stuff. And it, it's kind Ooh. of like, it's kind of got almost like an anarchist earth crisis vibe politically to it. But uh, the band is no longer with us and I'll just leave it at that. Ah. And then I also want to say that I am a uh, moderate um, fan of, of some of a, a particular boy sets fire record and um maybe we can talk about that at some other juncture but uh yeah yeah I just, so he did a live with nathan gray yeah from boy sets fire uh yeah. who also has a new album he's doing mm-hmm. some uh tour dates uh actually here he's gonna be playing some shows with our friends in crossed keys hell-minded records mm-hmm. um Man, also, what a just small you, circle of life we got there, huh? I know. Did you see? Did you see who um, just signed to? I was going to bring that up as well. No, tell me, Jason, kick it. Hot water music. That's yeah. sick. Yeah. So yeah. Congrats to Oise. Yeah. I think it's going to be a, a good fit, and I think they put a lot of care and attention to detail in every release that Oise puts out. So no doubt it's going to look awesome. Yeah. And uh, Chris Wallard is also back. Oh, that's right. And Brian so did this record cool. as well, right? Uh, yeah, I guess it's, I guess it's not a secret. Anymore, oh, right? shit. Did. Yeah. Let me reel it back. <laughs> Let me reel no, it back. I'm sorry about I, why that. Why would it be a secret? They already announced it. Yeah. I think he talked about it on here or on the Patreon episode. So there you go. Brian okay. did it. Sorry. So you know it sounds like freaking gold. It sounds That's right. Like, it sounds Three-fold like Stiltskin turn that straw into gold. Speaking <laughs> of uh, Brian McTurnan, I want to give a shout, a bit of bow, excuse me, to our associate Ben Edge, aka Bedge, um, who is a frequent podcast podcaster. Uh, he's on featured a lot on the 185 miles south podcast but we discussed this week who is the bigger ashes fuck boy me or ben and i, I think it's i think it's me personally but we both have an axe to grind with uh some of the the omission omission of some songs from the ashes quote-unquote discography that's not complete and uh there's just some songs what about vadim where does Vadim fall into the ashes? Well, FB. I don't, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to even have to compete with Vadim because that just might be a losing battle for me. I just want to think that I am the champion, and I don't, I don't want to, you know, it's like the Highlander. There can only be one. There can only be one supreme ashes super fan, and right now that's me. If Vadim wants to come and try and knock me off that pedestal, then I welcome him that opportunity. But. What if I asked you who did the artwork for Ash's first shirt? Why would I know that? Just kidding. I don't know. Did you do it? it? <laughs> no, I did not do it. I, Jeff Cottle did oh, from Game Face. I think it was. Great. Oh, they came out shirt, here. It was. They came out here, and the shirts were 
ready for them to go on tour, right? Is it's got like good? a gold sun on the back, which uh, looks like it's painted with a paintbrush. And I, if it's not their first shirt, I apologize, but it is a shirt that Jeff Cottle did the artwork for. I'm going to throw and it actually, out there. Uh, no, kick it. I have a story. I was going to say just on the Trying Jeff to segue Cottle, into... Yeah. On the Jeff Cottle tip, by the time this yes. episode is published, we will have uh, another bonus episode uh, that'll at this point be two days old or one day if you're a patron and listen to this early where I sat down with Jeff uh, Caudle, who, um, you know, has become a friend uh, over the past couple of years, just because of our mutual love of a lot of the same types of music. And we talked a lot of game face, like non rev game face. So if you want to hear about, you know, three to get ready and cupcakes, and then of course their post rev career, we talked about that. We talked about REM. We talked about Sloan, of course, um, and just music. And uh, it was a really cool. It was a good episode. I, I for patrons. Yeah, yeah, I was. I wasn't there, and I I edited it. Um, and it, it's a good listen. And it, the Thanks, only way man. you can listen to it is if you are a patron. So check that mm-hmm. out. And then I'm just going to throw it out there into the universe. If anyone wants to hear a future Patreon episode where me. Vadim and Bedge punish Brian McTurnan about ashes for an hour. I'd be happy to provide that service. I would Why don't to you that. do that? You got to yeah, do, do that. It. I'll set it up there. And like, I'm... I won't be there or I'll sit there on mute. Yeah. Cause I have nothing to contribute. Uh, you know, and speaking of nothing to contribute, I don't have any, anything to bid up bow this week. I don't think, um, except for this past week, someone, in our rank had a birthday and that is uh our our uh lovely co-host jason mazzola he turned 75 years old this thank week. you thank you very much <laughs> and um <laughs> yes that so you awesome. know what 75th. nothing else i don't have anything else cool nothing will be better than that for me i what this is got? not better than Jason's right, birthday. That's fucked up, Greg. But go ahead. <laughs> no, thank you. I said this. I said this is not better than Jason's birthday. Okay, respect. What I'm about to say. Okay. Um, we mentioned it before, and I managed to get copies out to these guys uh, through the postal service. The In Effect book on uh, Shining Life from Shining Life Press. This is a mandatory purchase. I would say um, it is. It's huge. It is yeah, it's, huge. Huge. It's, it's so thick. Beefy. It's like, uh, you know, close to 800 pages or something like that. Wild. Um, and it is just the repurposed zine in there. Yeah. And one um, quick note about that. When we spoke to Oise about uh, various things, we talked about the War on Illusion book that's coming out. No spoilers, but be on the lookout for that. All of the those were made intact, so it has all of the ads and reviews, and all of it's like a real snapshot of like 1993. And this book is similar. And also, I read that this is the longest running hardcore zine in history. Because, oh, nice. because technically he started it back up in like 2012 and it's published in internet, some yeah. form. So it's the currently the longest running uh, hardcore zine in the world. And I think that's yeah. impressive yeah, and that's awesome. deserves some shine. 
So shining life dot big cartel.com. Um, you know, we've talked about them before, but just what what's left in print, you got to act fast. Cause like a dear friend of mine says the time to buy it is when you see it. Yeah. Because yeah. A lot of these things get sold out and then that's it. You can't get it anymore. So, and they're in high demand, but like, you know, the, the, you know, there's a lot of cool zines you can get. So like you could bulk up a nice little order from them. Uh, the hardware zine anthology is also, I think mandatory yes. for anyone that is a fan of hardcore, especially um, hardcore in the nineties. The bold um, 89 tour book yeah. uh, or zine. I never ever shut up about the Ned Russin novel on their horizontal rust. If it's still on there, I'm it just is. saying, I'm just saying you should, there's, if you like books, why not spend your money in like keep it in the scene? You know, you could go to fucking Amazon or Barnes and Noble, but fuck that. Go to Shining Life. Bigcartel.com. Yep. Boom. That's it. Support our buddies. Yeah. John, John, uh Crucial John and Zach. That's right. So let's get it, let's let's get into the interview. Yeah, let's kick it. I just jokingly introduced John and Chris, but I want to know just for my own, I just, cause I thought about it. How long have you guys known each other now? It's 2021. Well, I think we went to the same uh, elementary school, <laughs> grew up in the wow. same general area. And then my recollection, John, did you go to the, did you go to the same, did we go to both go to Dapple Gray? Yeah, we both went to Dapo Gray and Rancho yeah. Vista. Yeah. My memory is fuzzy, but we've basically known each other since elementary school. And then we maybe didn't know each other so much through, um, you know, like uh, whatever you call it, uh, junior high. But once we got into high school, we were both, you know, one of the very few punk rock types in the area. So we we knew each other that way. So Rancho Vista, is that like Temecula area? <laughs> no, it's the Palos Verdes Peninsula area. Oh, so it's South Bay. Yeah, it's like, yeah. yeah mm-hmm. um, it's, was everyone... Like each city's on one side and San Pedro on the other and Torrance and all that surrounding. Which that area has a rich history of punk and hardcore, especially San Pedro yeah. Um, all through the South Bay, of course, you've got Black Flag, Circle Jerks, Minutemen, everything down there. Do you guys think that shaped your wanting to be in bands or like your involvement in punk and hardcore at all? I mean, probably. I mean, I didn't, I don't know about John, but I didn't discover punk 
locally. I discovered it like on things like Rodney on the Rock and you know, hearing it. And then I realized there was all these bands that are around us. But PB, we are, I think we were a little more isolated, a little where it's a way more conservative um, yeah. area. Um, but I think I used to in that area, you would see black flag um, flyers everywhere, all over the telephone poles and stuff like that. So you knew kind of peripherally what it was, but not really. I mean, I didn't know what it was, but it was this kind of thing, and it seemed kind of scary. <laughs> what about you, John? Well, I, I agree that it, they did, like the flyers did make it kind of look scary. Like it was all that, like China white and you know <laughs> black flag, <laughs> forty five grave and stuff. Um, well, I think I first got turned on to punk. Honestly, was like uh, on like like TV reporting around the Sex Pistols, and I was I was hearing that, and I was like, wow, this is this sounds good. <laughs> like there's a lot of music that didn't sound good, and that's it did sound good. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so I think I was probably just near the end of middle school when I started getting turned on a lot more to that stuff. And then when I kind of reconnected with Chris, I think we were both fully in the, into the hardcore and punk scenes at that point. Yeah. It's funny you say that about this because I remember that too, like on the TV when the, when the sex pistols were first happening and it being on the news. And I remember, <laughs> I think I was, you know, I was probably like nine or 10 and that saying to my mom, like, I'm not going to get into that mom. That's terrible. Or something, something stupid. And then lo and behold, years later, you know, it was, he started to, back then, like in the early eighties, there was a lot of reporting on the news about punk because it was such a kind of, you know, there was violence and there was, you know, writing and there's all these things around it that got a lot of news attention and people were very freaked out about it. So, but that was, by that point, I was a little older. That was the allure kind of, you know, that seemed kind of scary and, <laughs> you know, and it was in the beginning, at least in the early days. <laughs> Yeah, terrifying. Even the shows were kind of scary because being little, there was people were so much bigger. You were basically at like knee and elbow height, and when you go to the Olympic Auditorium, you're just getting your face kicked in, basically. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. and that was actually better when you were little. Nobody really took notice. Once you got a little older, suddenly you became a target. You know, but um, yeah, the guys, everybody seemed huge too. We were like, you know, little dweebs from the suburbs. And then you guys both played in Reason to Believe, which basically morphed into Sensefield, which we talked about the last time that we had Chris mm-hmm. and Rodney on here. And so the reason why we're here today is to really talk about the Sensefield, what's colloquial known as the Buddha record, which comprises like your basically your first two EPs, your, your demos, right? Yeah, it's two uh, independently released. I, I can't even say released. These weren't really released. They were, we made them and we sold them to our friends and it shows around the area, but they didn't have any kind of distribution whatsoever. They were just kind of, they were basically demos that we sold on CD at the time. Two different ones. And I think there's a couple, I'm looking at the track listing now. There's a couple oddball ones that I don't think that were sort of outtakes. I think first things and some other stuff weren't on the demos, right? What was the other one? Was it first things first? And well, there's a song greater than. I don't remember that being on anything. I think yeah. that was that was an outtake. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, two distinct sessions. Um, those are probably. What, you think those were within a year of each other? 
yeah, I think that that's probably accurate. You know, my my recollection of time frames is pretty bad, uh, but I you know, release is kind of a funny word. It, it almost sounds like like there was somebody waiting for this thing. It was more like, <laughs> <laughs> trying, to, trying to make people take them. It's more like what was happening, but <laughs> yeah, <that laughs> later it became thought accurate. after. But it but at first it certainly was not not terribly sought after. People were like, wow, five bucks. Can I get a deal? You know, <laughs> well, wasn't Jordan 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 pretty early on was uh, a pretty big supporter? Am I correct, or was it not until after the second EP came out? Well, maybe John has more better recollection of this, but my remembrance is that some of the guys in the warehouse were listening to one or both EPs and were liking it, and they kind of turned Jordan onto it. Is that does that sound right, John? Yeah, I mean, I think when at least when I met Jordan, it feels like we met him in some parking lot of some place as, as one does in the punk scene anyways. And I, I feel like we gave him a box of CDs. <laughs> like that was like our sort of our contract with him or something <laughs> at first. Oh. He, he wanted to kind of like sell some of the, it was the second one, I think. Yeah. Oh, did he sell them for us? I, I want to say he, I don't know if he just bought them or took them, but you know, like again, you know, in those days, like memory formation was uh, high on my, my list of things to do yeah. on any given night. So yeah, we I, always say I, like I, it's 30 yeah. years ago. We totally understand that people don't remember every, you know, minute detail. Sure. It, it does what, look what like, this, you know, this scenario where somebody comes up to you and is, is psyched about like listening to your music in a parking lot. And then like, is telling you like things are going to happen wasn't like a one-time thing, you know? And so <laughs> with, if, if somebody like Jordan shows up, you know, there's not like, you know, I, there was sort of a time lag before you would find out if that person was, you know, real <laughs> in some way or or just another kid at a show, you know. Were you a big fan of, of Revelation, though, John, like at that point? I mean, 1990 I, to one. I'll, I'll be honest. I, was, I wasn't I was a huge Revelation fan. I liked some of the stuff on Revelation, but I wasn't like a total Revelation New York hardcore kid. We, we were like... I mean, I speak for myself. I was not a straight edge kid. I mean, I loved straight edge bands from DC and I thought that was a cool thing that they were doing, uh, but it was not anything I was really part of. We were not part of like any kind of Orange County straight edge or any kind of straight edge. <laughs> you know. And so like a straight edge was sort of anathema to like in, in some ways the punk rock that we grew up with. You know, like people like at punk shows in L.A. back in the day, I mean, they were scary and they looked like drug addicts and they probably were, you know, <laughs> like, you know, it was it was just a pretty different thing. And I then I could understand this reaction and like why straight edge was happening, just looking at what was going on, you know, and as the scene right. degraded in Los Angeles into gang violence and all this other crazy shit, you know, it, it made sense why, you know, people were wanting to have the scene be something else. Yeah, but it was not it wasn't really like my wheelhouse now yeah i mean the same kind of goes for me i i we all listened to a lot of those bands. i mean definitely the dc stuff and the boston bands we were into all that stuff um like the exclaim bands and all that stuff um but we yeah we did not practice the straight edge <laughs> <laughs> um like i think i tried to hammer it home the last time we did this we were kind of oddballs i mean we existed in our own little world and you know i don't know so we kind of straddled all the different scenes and whatnot and 
Yeah. Like a yeah. I think that's what was so that was what was so attractive though about Sensefield, I think, because like I, you know, Sensefield is a band where I've just I've met so many people along the way that like so many different kinds of music that would maybe all fall under, you know, the punk, post-punk, because it's a huge umbrella, right? Because you got everything from, you know, the emo stuff to punk to hardcore to like metallic stuff and Sensefield is the one like you know i know our, our friend javier and jason uh and patron rob moran from unbroken huge Sensefield fan tim singer mentioned he's a Sensefield fan like it just you guys kind of appealed even though you didn't fit in it was like because of that you, you kind of appealed to everybody yeah, at least other band members. I, <laughs> I mean, that's sort of sort of one of those curses that we've we've had. Remember, there's there's this band called the Feelies that was like nobody knows, you know, basically. But but they were the band that really influenced like REM, and REM became this huge thing. And REM would be saying the Feelies are great, and then nobody was caring about that at all, and nobody would listen to them. So it was not that we were anything like that. But I'm just saying there was there was this kind of idea, like lots of people who were into music. And in other bands like us a lot, you know, like a bands. You're like a bands, a bands band. Band. Like, um, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, they'll be like, the, you're, this is a comedian's comedian. Like, not everybody. I may have used this analogy before, but like, not everybody yeah. thinks Norm Macdonald is funny. But like, comedians are like, oh, he's genius. By the way, the Feelies, they're great. I, I saw them. It's yeah, good. yeah, yeah. The Feelies are great. But. <laughs> um, how many CDs did you make? Do you remember? Did we make five hundred of each? That's the number that sounds familiar. I, I think we did. I think all we could afford was 500 okay. after, after having made them. And maybe we made more of the second one, but I don't know, honestly. That sounds sort of familiar, yeah. Okay. I, mean, I think we paid for some and didn't get them because of some incident with a... <laughs> yeah. That, and the first one was also on... There was three songs on a cassette, which sure. is... Yeah. Well, Discogs... Going by Discogs, says, yeah. Going by Discogs, 1990... Three songs, uh, pr- forgive me if I pronounce this wrong, Try Poem, Add the Colors, Today and Tomorrow, on a single-sided cassette from 1990. Yeah, I'm looking at that right now. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, God. That, yeah, that was like some pathetic self-released thing, like with the artwork done on a like a really old PC. Uh-huh. Like, I, I don't even see this, but that I think that thing, Chris, was what – we were sending out to like college radio and stuff. And the thing that they actually played on in, on like K-Rock or something was one of those like two or three song things. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it does look familiar. That was something I think, yeah, that I remember helping put together. Yeah, I got, I didn't, I would never have remembered that. <laughs> yeah, it was probably something we were sending around to like people to. Yeah, I mean, 1990 tapes are still like a thing then, you know, see, they're probably still selling CDs in long boxes. At that point, yeah. At that yeah, point, sure they were long box. <laughs> they're they're I think a, vinyl. a luxury. Yeah. yeah so tapes were it. Chris was Run H two O Records. Just that was just us. That just the just... name for we're putting this out. <laughs> yeah, that's all that was. Running yeah, okay. water. I am running, running water. With some bunch like Native American influence, something or other. Is that okay. not right, John? And where did it you guys? Accurate. <laughs> where did you guys record those first 
five songs because this is two separate sessions yeah the the first one we recorded with this guy bill credell who was also the engineer on the reason to believe 12 inch and that's um, at pen pen dragon yeah although at that point i don't remember if it was still pen dragon or if they'd switched studios but um he is a local south bay guy that you know recorded some bands and um we first we first heard of him because a band that we knew, Free Will, was like a local kind of punk emo. They recorded there. They, they recorded there because Dag Nasty recorded Field Day there, which is probably their worst record. But <laughs> we decided, yeah, we can, you know, it was local. We didn't know where to go. So um, we, we ended up having a long uh, relationship with Bill Cordell, though. He also was the engineer on Building um, later. But he was a real character, passed away a few years ago, but just like a, a real like funny, weird, quirky guy. And we always had a good time with him. But um, he was actually a pretty, pretty solid engineer. Yeah, I mean, looking at his Discogs page, there's an impressive uh, amount of things. Um, you know, Inside Out was recorded there. Uh, DI, Against the Wall, Doggy Style uh collision so yeah, yeah he a lot of, a lot of stuff and by the way free will just released a new record oh really in 2021 so wow. yeah anything <laughs> can happen time is a flat circle yeah we were really always eager to get into the studio from what i remember whenever we had some material we were always like we really wanted to get in and record it um probably at that time were we still practicing at your parents house john we were, yeah, especially uh, certainly for the first one. I think maybe for both. Um, I think we had we had cut a lot of those things on four track. Like you, you recorded them on four track, and yeah, we just were wanting to get better recordings of stuff and and have something we could really sell uh, at least to kind of cover the cost of continuing to play shows that weren't paying anything. <laughs> yeah, that, that was definitely yeah, that first incarnation of, of the band where Rodney was still like playing with that shitty acoustic, electric acoustic guitar. That fucking Kramer Farrington. <laughs> <laughs> was such a piece of shit. But uh, he played that he had, like, he had like a crate amp too. <laughs> yeah, pretty, pretty sad uh, setup, but uh <laughs> yeah. If he should have been wearing flip flops the whole time or something. I think, well, I think he wore team <laughs> shorts a lot of the time. <laughs> uh, anyways, so yeah, I think at the time, yeah, we always called that first song "Trip Poem." I, I guess everybody thinks it's "Try Poem," but I mean that's what we always call it "Trip Poem," isn't that mm -hmm. what it was? I think because the, yeah, the song was about. Was, I think it was "Trip Home." But but like the way it got written on the the set list thing or the way John wrote it out was trip poem <laughs> like all okay. one slurred together word. I always wondered that because I'm like, wait, I see it I, on here as one thing, and I've seen. I it feel like he wrote that. And correct me if I'm wrong, John. But when we were on the was it the first Sensual tour or the, the Reason to Believe tour where we met his? It was the Reason to Believe tour. Yeah, where he we met. Uh, we're on the road, John being who he is, started flirting with some girls in another car, like on the interstate. And the, one of the girls ended up being his longtime girlfriend for a while. And I remember, so I had to think it had something to do with that. Like 
Does that sound right? Yeah, it does. I mean, you know, clearly neither of us know the lyrics to this song. <laughs> be able to talk about it more in depth. But I, yeah, I, that, my impression is that that's what it was about. Okay. Yeah, that, that was a Rodney and John collaboration. They they did that one together. Um, I remember really liking it the first time they played it for us because we didn't. I didn't have anything to do with it, and they they had worked on it together. And I just thought that was really that was well, that kind of remained one of my favorite songs over the whole course of the band. I was we it was kind of a staple of the live set too. That one just always always played that one. Yeah, it's a fun song. I think it, well, people always loved hearing it too, and it was. It was fun, and it was also kind of challenging enough that you were worried about playing it every time, and I, I like that. It had the, nice. what is that, 7-8 intro, <laughs> little math rock. Yeah, I have to pull my slide rule out to make sure that's right, but <laughs> it sounds, sounds right. <laughs> was was that the first song that Sensefield wrote? No. I mean, honestly, there's some songs, and a lot of them, several on building, that are these transitional, reason-to-believe sense field songs okay. um, that were kind of straddling both bands and they didn't really have a home and then they found a home in Sensefield. Um, but Trip Home was one of the earliest, but it was that was when we were fully kind of doing that stuff, like Sensefield stuff. Yeah, I think I, I think Trip Home was, all, was always just exclusively Sensefield. There was a couple, though, like, what was it, Shady Day? And we had a few songs that we played, both bands played at some point. Did that song ever make it on something? Did we ever release that song? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're listening. Talking we, about we did record that. it. <laughs> I yeah, remember we recording it. It was on something. <laughs> Maybe that was on Filterless. No, I don't think it is. No, it's not on that. Maybe that got released as a B-side or something. Um, yeah, it, it wasn't one of the first, but it was one of the earliest. Let's just leave it at that. Okay. <laughs> And yeah. so when you so when you have these EPs that you're distributing, um, was it to we're just putting these out so we can play shows, or was it let's get signed to a label and and get things going? Was that the end goal, or was it just let's see what happens? I think they were to sell, but also to just yeah, to, well, we just to put something out there so people could start hearing the band and we could start getting out of our little area and start playing shows and you know. That was the idea. And if somebody wanted to sign us in the meantime, that would have been great, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. I, yeah, I think our, our, our intention was, was, was kind of like spread all over the place. We, we were wanting to go, be able to go out and play a, a broader area. We were also wanting to get out on tour if we could. We were also, you know, just coming from the scene we came from, putting out your own stuff was a, is a good way to start. And, and we weren't going to wait around for everyone else to figure out that we were worth listening to. Oh yeah. Know? Yeah. <laughs> so, but, at, but at the same time, yeah, we were not, you know, DIY or die. Like we didn't, we didn't want to be doing any of that stuff. We just like, we're doing it because nobody else was doing it. And the scary thing is, is we actually toured on just that blue CD. Like no business touring on that. Like nobody had even heard it. We're like, hey, we're gonna go on tour. But a few random people had heard it. I don't know. But was that was that you headlining shows or was that you opening up shows? I think we were headlining, and I think we were doing it almost like on the word of mouth of X reason to believe. Okay. Something like that. Like we were, yeah. Maybe not the smartest idea. 
We probably had fun, but I don't think it was probably the most <laughs> fruitful tour. Those, those kind of shows always seem to build a strong foundation, though. <laughs> Even if there's a small amount of people there, I always feel like when you go out, you're headlining the shows, you're just doing it and seeing what happens. It always seems like it. Yeah. And it's hit and miss. Sometimes you'll have a random good show and other times it's just a total disaster, you know, but still, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But there's always that, that like that one show that where there was two kids at it. And, you know, we had a pretty good worth ethic. I think internally we were like going to rock our asses off as hard as we could, no matter if there was one person there. Yeah. You know, we tried to play good shows every night. And, you know, we we did have some really amazing turnarounds in places where there was that one or two kids there that saw it. And they were kind of the kid, you know, in a lot of towns, that's the kid who who was like the hippest kid in town who was kind of, you know, leading everybody. Else. So every like the next time we would come through, there would just be so many people that it was like we didn't even know what had happened in this place. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah that's and great. The word of mouth stuff, I think, really can can help uh can help a lot because i think it like um i don't know like it just it seems more real sort of like it's more just like like the band's working and getting a following i did want to ask um you know reason to believe the lp was on nemesis was there ever talk of sensefield you know like of of you guys doing anything with nemesis or you just decided and i don't remember why there was or wasn't i don't recall ever like even going down that road like do you remember john i don't remember us ever you know it's a weird thing i I can't imagine why we would would not have talked to big frank about about it but i but i want to say we didn't (laughs) or or at least there was something going on where it wasn't it wasn't an avenue uh, there certainly was. I don't feel like there was any, any kind of hard feelings with Nemesis or Frank or anybody around this. So, I, I honestly don't know why why it didn't happen. Maybe Rodney would would know, but I don't know. I don't know. I, we might have just thought that that would just like Frank would not have been interested in what we were doing, you know, because it was still more or less a punk label. So, in the Nemesis book that I have here, there's a little blurb about Nemesis 09, which is the reason to believe. 12 inch and he says uh there's a decent video on youtube of them and when he got back he's talking about john he called me and told me he wished he'd stayed in hardcore and done reason to believe longer they should have been huge it was nice to get to tattoo john a few few years back and reminisce about times gone by so he he speaks about reason to believe very fondly um in this book there's just a couple paragraphs but yeah maybe it just you know it didn't seem like it, it was a good fit. It's interesting what Nemesis, you know, their history too, going from uniform choice to like the offspring and pitchfork and, you know, the, the kind of varied uh, discography that, that they had. I always thought that was very interesting as well. Yeah. That, that book is really cool too, by the way. The, yes. The Nemesis book. Yeah. Yeah. No, he put out some cool stuff. I mean, some stuff that's well-regarded now. Um, yeah, we and Pitchfork and Reason to Believe were like buddy bands. We used to play a lot together, and I don't know if we talked about that last time. No, you didn't. No, That's Jason, awesome. Jason perked up. He's a. I mean, I am too, but he's a really big. Uh, yeah, like, I'm a. John I'm Rice a hot. Fan. I'm a Hot Snake super fan. I love Rocket also, but I just I love Hot Snake so much. But yeah, Pitchfork, 
for San Diego and we used to come, we used to go down there and they used to come up here and we would go see show. We used to go see punk shows together, like John Reese and this whole larger group of guys from San Diego. We used to go, you know, we used to like see Dag Nasty and bands like that together. And we'd go spend the night down there and they'd come up here. And then when we all started bands, we used to play together in the early days. Pitchfork and reasonably played a lot of shows together. Um, uh-huh. And we were like huge Pitchfork fans. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he actually, I don't know. I mean, he, John Reese actually had a really nice thing at John's Memorial show here when we did that, like whenever that was five years ago, kind of like a really cool speech in the middle of it about, you know, how we all met and, you know, how we were supporters of theirs and them for us and all that. And that was a really cool relationship back then. They were a great band. I always tell people there was a whole whole era, middle era pitchfork that they never really recorded that never got heard, which was probably their best stuff. Oh, wow. Like, like the seven inch, the, the more upbeat song on the seven inch, can't remember the name right now, but it was all kind of like that. It kind of really rocked and it was really good. Yeah. Anyways. I saw that yeah, video. He, he just always is like has just done cool stuff in my opinion like he just like there's there's cer- just certain people i feel like where they just kind of do bands and even if they only do a record or two like they always manage to do something cool yeah yeah he's a good guy he's a creative guy yeah he's definitely an it getter <laughs> for the <punk> scene. <laughs> yeah yeah uh, and didn't John didn't John do vocals on the uh did Jason did I make on like backup vocals on Rocket from the Crypt or something? He did. Yes, yeah, he did. It songs uh, awesome too. It's um Cir- on uh, circa now, right? Yeah, correct. Um it's the song that ends up with everybody smoke pot. Uh-huh. At the end of it. <laughs> yeah, that's I can't remember the name of the song right now, but the song's either, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, it's funny. So anyway, I wasn't crazy. Yeah. Back to back to Sensefield talk. So when you put out Killed for Less, how long after that came out did the idea come up of we should do something to follow up that LP with and make it these demo songs? I feel like that was was that all Jordan's idea, John, to put that out? To put out Killed for Less? No, to put out the to re to release the little EPs as a revelation record. It, I think it was mostly Jordan's idea, and I think John really wanted it too, uh, at some level, probably behind the scenes. Um, yeah, probably. And, yeah, <clears throat> and it, which I think it was never sounded like a bad idea because it was it was one of those things. Even at that point, you know, it's not like we were a collectible item in some way, but but already those blue ones were just nobody had those because. They basically went to people who came to shows in LA or like, you know, the few that we managed to like foist on the people on that tour that we did. (laughs) So like basically it was, it was pretty sought after in in a way among people who were getting interested in the band. And, and uh, yeah, so I I think it made sense to release it, you know, and I think it was definitely Jordan and probably John that were driving that. Yeah. I I feel like maybe I wasn't super into the (laughs) idea. Like I don't, think i was too happy about putting that old stuff out on uh but you know 
that's just me. We wanted this. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, I just, I think there was this stuff about it that like some of the stuff I didn't, wasn't, didn't feel that great about, but whatever. Yeah, I mean, there's also sort of, I mean, it kind of makes sense, you know, like, (laughs) you know, we just put out our first record and now we're putting out some kind of like old, like, you know, 60s retrospective best of, you know, old garbage tapes or whatever. So (laughs) 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 So I I could see Chris would be fussy about it. (laughs) But I mean, some of those songs never, never got a, they never were re-recorded. I mean, there's songs that are only on those. Um, So, you know, I guess it's good that we did because those wouldn't have never probably been heard. Anyway. Maybe that's what you were hoping for, really. <laughs> well, some of them I like. Dreams, like, I'm glad that one made it out there, you know? I mean, there's that's people true. that like that one. Um, some of the others. But, yeah, so the first one we did with Bill Cradell, the second one we did, who's rec- it was like, whose studio was that? That was um, <clears throat> the drummer from Poison. Yeah. <laughs> wow. He yeah. Was- Studio. Oh, Rocket Plant, as in like Ricky Rocket? As in Ricky Rocket, yeah. That was, uh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> it was not a bad studio, actually. It had like a Coca-Cola themed uh, lounge area. And <laughs> it was just weird. <laughs> and yeah. it says by, by uh, it was engineered by Paul in February 92. So the first, uh, the, the, the ones done at by bill um at wild bill were august 91 and then this next one was february 92 that's pretty quick yeah like i said we were always kind of excited to get in the studio and record whatever new songs we had at the moment and that's the second one was kind of the newer stuff and some of it a little more guitar, guitar heavy compared to the first one which was a lot of clean guitars not as much, I don't think not as much distorted guitar, a lot of acoustic. And I think on the second one, was there even, I'm not even sure if there was acoustic guitar in that one. Some mains, I had found you on it. That was, that became like a staple. Yeah. And for some reason, in the early days, the song River, which is like a one note song, that used to be a real hit live. I I don't know why. I guess people (laughs) like simple music, but I think I literally, was there one more than one note in that song? Yeah, there was the note right below it every once in a while. <laughs> I think that's For some it. reason, that one always went over well live because like, maybe it was like the closest thing to a jam that we had. Uh, that made me feel sick a little bit. <laughs> yeah. This one, the second one also kind of makes me laugh because this was in that odd early days where we were trying a lot of different things and Scott... McPherson, our drummer, had a friend. He had a lot of really like bohemian kind of sort of pseudo hippie friends that um, hung around. And one of the guys was this guy named Ron, who was kind of like a multi instrumentalist type who made his own. Didn't he make his own instruments and stuff? He still does. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And he started kind of messing around with this sometimes at practice. And some of the stuff he was doing sounded kind of cool, we thought. Um, like some of the stuff he did on soft, he did some weird drones or didn't he like do some kind of droning thing? Yeah. He played a dulcimer, I think on that. And he played slide guitar and harmonica and mandolin, like on different songs on that record. (laughs) 
<laughs> That's right. <laughs> then you do the, the mandolin intro to the river. <laughs> Uh-huh. I think I think we told him like we want something that sounds like that thing where they're kicking around the Stonehenge and Spinal Tap and he was like, Yeah. <laughs> it made me think of Spinal Tap, like, oh my God. So I, I had a question actually as I'm as I'm looking at the dates of the recordings, um, and I'm kind of trying to put myself back in that time of late ninety-one, early ninety-two, and maybe it's just because you know I end up somehow mentioning like Nirvana or whatever in every episode. So if someone's playing where it went bingo, they can cross off that space. But um, I noticed like the first session, August 91. And then by the time February 92, like rock music was like, even in just those like six months, you probably went from, you know, going in the studio in August, just like, yeah, like, you know, whatever, like nothing like this is ever has any chance of, having any kind of appeal. And then of course you go back in February and at that point, like, you know, the entire world was like looking at bands with guitars that like weren't poison. Funny enough, you're in poison's <laughs> recording studio, but like, did that inform, not necessarily that you guys were like trying to do, but like, were you cognizant of that just around that time? Like, Oh wow. Like people might actually take what we're doing seriously. I want to say, I would like to say yes. I would like to think we were that smart and calculating, but <laughs> I don't think we were. I, I mean, do you disagree, John? Well, I, I think we probably felt internally without saying it out loud that, that well, people may be interested in that. They probably weren't going to be interested in us. But I, I do remember uh, we were on that tour. Maybe we played some dates with SNFU or something. And we were mm. like... <clears throat> We were playing pool at some club in the middle of the day because, you know, we were there early for sound check or something. And they had a TV on and I saw like like MTV and they had Nirvana and like all this was like happening. And I was like, remember, just like it was it really like hit me. I was like, whoa, this is actually a thing like Nirvana is on TV. <laughs> you know? And that was kind of a wild, a wild thing. And then it just got crazier and crazier from there. Yeah. Like I'm trying to put myself uh you know back in that time and i wasn't cognizant of what was going on but like you know because i was a bit too young but just thinking about like what it must have been like because like you know the year before they're just like oh yeah nirvana's a band on sub pop or like yeah soundgarden i had their album was on sst and then now it's like they're on tv and that had to be freaking weird to see like for people that have been around and knew where you know, a lot of these acts came from. Yeah, it was weird. I mean, I was working in a record store in in, in West LA. And I remember when, when Nevermind came out, even when we had the advanced copies, we listened, we were listening to it and, and I was listening, but also like these like long hair Hesher guys and old school people who were working the record collector guys were all, we all listened to this record and we're like, this is a fucking great record. <laughs> it's like, this is an amazingly good record. And so I wasn't super surprised that it was getting traction. A lot of people were buying it. But when I saw that it had broken through, like, the kind of, you know, whatever was going on over at MTV and all this stuff, when it, they were actually on TV, like, that that totally, I was not expecting that, you know? And, and then it just kept going from there. Yeah, it pretty much just destroyed hair metal and all that stuff for all time. Like, <laughs> yeah, like it's it's nuts to think about now because I think there's not 
but like just to think about what how it literally like changed you know culture sort of in a way like to the right. point where you know the mainstream was co-opting all the stuff and you know you could buy grunge grunge clothing and things like that it's just it's wild to think and what it must have been like to just like i feel like the 90s we've mentioned a lot but it's such an exciting time musically even without bands getting signed just bands were doing i think really exciting cool new things yeah it was a moment in time like doesn't seem like it's been like that for a long time now but there was that was one of those weird times like in the beginning of new wave or something where weird oddball bands were actually getting you know having success and like had the attention of the mainstream for a while it was nice you know a lot of alternative world or whatever you want to call it like yeah you know bands like sonic youth could actually be on mtv and have radio hits and Exactly. Yeah. Can't imagine that today, you know? Yeah. <laughs> no, which is weird because you'd think it would be like even, you know, like now, like what would be on the radio would be even more abrasive and weird, but it's almost like. Yeah, we made a complete, you know, 180, got gone back to just shit, like ass, you know, pop. Yeah. You know. Ugh, that took me so. Yeah, that, that thing that it, when, the, when it all hit in the 90s, you know, I mean, we're, I'm, I'm, I'm self-aware enough to know that like, I could have easily been like, uh, fuck all these people. Like the now punk's cool or whatever, but, it, <laughs> but it really didn't feel that way. I, I honestly, it felt like a vindication. Like we were, we were living in this kind of alternate universe of our own for so long. Then it was like, people were just, you know, like business was ignoring it, you know, and then the business got interested in all of a sudden and it, and it didn't, it didn't make it suck. And that's what was kind of surprising, I think, in a way, you know, right. at least at first. <laughs> right. And like, there's definitely some, some trickle down, like, you know, I've read in uh, Bob Mould's biography, I think, you know, he talks about how like people were like, oh, are you, are you bitter? Because like Nirvana came and kind of took like what you were doing and then made it, you know, this household thing. And he's like, why would I be pissed? Like now I, I'm, I do sugar and like, you know, we get to do what we do because of them, you know, because they sold a lot of records, not as many as Nirvana, but like, you know, I think for the smaller bands, it did pay off because the bigger acts got people into uh, smaller bands. Yeah, there was, basically, there was just no access for those kind of bands before that happened, you know, and so when it when it did happen, I think it's Bob Mould's totally right, as I'm sure he is about most things. Uh, you know, like now you, you have all these opportunities now, and he's actually making a living doing this. You know, I don't, I don't remember anybody really having anything against Nirvana. You know what I mean, or being angry with them for doing something. They, they didn't do anything other than just be great. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, and it was music that we all liked. And I don't know, you'd you'd have to be you know pretty convoluted in your thinking to get to a place where you could be like, now Nirvana sucks because you know people like it. You know, I don't, I don't know. That didn't make any sense to me. No, I agreed. Well, speaking of Nirvana, <laughs> you have. A boot, you know, this is called the Buddha record a lot of times uh, because of the, the cover and the artwork. Can we can you talk about that a little bit? You got the right guy for it here. <laughs> Take it away, that, that was a picture on our blue thing. It was just a black and white photocopy. And it's kind of uh, the Buddha on that cover. Oh, my God. 
I spent so many hours on that stupid thing because they had this idea that they wanted to have this, this image uh, be embossed onto the cover, but it was this really, really grainy black and white picture. And so I would just be sitting there for hours and hours working on that like headdress thing <laughs> and all that stuff to kind of pixel by pixel make that like a, a sharp enough picture for them to make it embossed onto that cover. Uh, that's what I mostly remember about that cover. <laughs> it was a pain in the ass for me personally to make that thing happen. But, uh, you know, beyond that, like it, there was no particular significance about it other than, you know, the, on the original CD, I, we put that artwork on it. Um, and it, because the, the name actually came from this one, ex, the name of the band came from this one weird experience I had uh, <clears throat> while I was reading a Tibetan version of the Dhammapada on a, let's just say, more than a small amount of LSD. And everything else in the page sort of slid off, and there was just the word sense field were sitting there. And uh, and it was something I was like, it was so sort of like inscrutable, and, and you know, I, I, it didn't mean anything, you know? And I, I felt like that that was a good place for us to start. <laughs> As a, as it's, a it's good because it's one of those names too where you have no idea like it doesn't it doesn't <laughs> give you any inkling of what the band is going to sound like and that's that was the idea because we didn't really know either you know we were <laughs> exactly what it was going to sound like and where we were going to go and we didn't want it to, to be sounding like it was immediately pigeonholing us into anything I mean, later on, maybe it kind of hurt us that like people <laughs> 20 years on were like I don't know what the hell this is <laughs> you know, but who knows do you even remember, because I don't, did we even have any other names, like, in contention, like, that we didn't go with? Thankfully, I, I, I don't remember any of the other okay, names. Good, that I don't either, <laughs> I'm sure there were. I'm sure there were some, yeah. <laughs> so, did you do screen printing, or did you have a background in art because this cover always looks like someone that knows how to screen print made this um, kind of high yeah. contrast legible graphic. You mean of the Buddha? Yeah. So the, the, yeah, the Buddha was, was actually like a super, if you ever see what one of those blue CDs looks like, it was a really low res kind of just photocopy of this thing. That's what was taking so long. So I had to make it look like something that actually was, <laughs> had detail in it okay uh, so okay that, so that he could emboss it onto this album cover uh, and yeah i mean i think we all had done some kind of screen printing along the way in the early days you know like, like a lot of you know like the earliest punk stuff that i had we just kind of made it uh-huh so I think, I think yeah i think rodney was doing more screen rodney was an artist and still is and he did yeah. lots of you know, screen printing and stuff i you know I was making making flyers and doing stuff like that. And so, you know, I had some some level of skill. Mostly I just had like, you know, stubbornness and perseverance. <laughs> okay. That, that thing, yeah. So is that your handwriting on the back that did the song titles as well? No, thankfully, no. That, uh, that was all Gavin, wasn't it, Chris? On, on what, the Buddha thing? Uh, no, on the back of the record, the song titles. Yeah, like the the, the hand written out titles. almost like a set list. No, that is that is John Bunch handwriting for sure. Okay. <laughs> okay. I recognize that. That is totally it. Yeah, I do. Too. So, uh, is the original press of this has the the Buddha's embossed, or is it? A, I right? seem to is recall that. that yeah. 
Yeah. Oh man, I gotta get one. <laughs> Come on, Rev. Yeah. And then this should Jordan be used to make. Remember the T-shirts he made of that? Those huge sweat patch hideous. Long hideous. sleeve, heaviest shirt possible, sweatiest so shirt possible. We, we were literally just trying to give those away on tour. He made these ones that were like these, they were, first of all, he had some giant sizes. For, I don't know who he thought was coming to the show, like some Sasquatches or whatever, but he had, <laughs> he had like, they had like these bright, like Lakers purple shirts with gold printing on it of the, of that would face. Wear, I would the, definitely wear that. <laughs> it was like we were going to Mardi Gras or something. It was horrible. That's <laughs> oh, great. Yeah, it was like gold metallic flesh, like ink on a bright purple long sleeve t-shirt. Okay. That and then there's, there's this as well on the flip side of the, lyric sheet the drawing who uh did you do this too john I, I didn't do any of the drawings so they were they were just off of like uh so i was pretty into like uh studying buddhism at that time and so i had all kinds of weird books and and pictures so they were i'm sure like copyright violation for sure but <laughs> like we just kind of photocopied it and made it bad enough that it like it didn't resemble the original I think it looks cool. cool. That was. Yeah, it looks cool. Um, <laughs> well, speaking of Buddhism and religion, there's an uh, interesting uh, note on, on this. It says, for those who seem to care, Sensefield's religion is music. Did you guys get asked a lot? Like, I know that even when I got into the band on the building record, um, did you get asked a lot about spiritual beliefs? I know, too, at that point in time, Krishna core was a huge thing, you know, shelter and 108 and all that. Um, and is that why you guys had to put this Were people just asking always if you were like a Christian band or Buddhists or whatever? It, it was probably more because of the tendency for people to think that we had something to do with like Christianity, that we were because of some bunch's lyrics leaned that way. And we, wanted to make it clear that we were not a Christian rock band by any stretch. There's little, there's, I don't know if there's anything less cool than a Christian rock band. And we did not want to get tagged with that. Yeah. Maybe, I mean, maybe I, a Buddhist I rock band would be just as, as lame. I don't I think know. That would be much <laughs> no, I mean, that like, Christian I think, band. yeah, like it's something, there's just a connotation that just is, uh, that's, that's totally what tough. it was like we we were always getting asked this in interviews and uh yeah there was we were i mean i think as people none of us were religious in any way <laughs> yeah. definitely was when you say i would say he was spiritual but like religious implies he was in some particular tradition of you know religion and i don't know that he was no he definitely wasn't he was a little all yeah. over the place yeah. yeah like you i mean when we talk about building, that's a whole other conversation because a lot of the lyrics on that, I think, are really spiritual, but they're also like I had and I'll, I'll probably mention it again when we do talk about that. But like it always reminded me of like you two in a way, almost how like you knew that like they were like Christian, but they're not a Christian rock band. The lyrics were just kind of universal and spiritual and uplifting yeah, that makes sense. You, bring, you bring up that because he, John was a massive U2 fan. And so he might have, he may have actually taken that cue from them. Yeah, you can tell. I I always thought that there was, 
Like, you know how something can, it, like, it had like a, a, had a feel. It wasn't like you guys, you don't sound like you two, but there was just like a vibe. I'm a massive U2 fan. So that's a yeah. big compliment coming from me, but it just had that same kind of feeling. I think John always tried to go for those universal themes when he could, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, stuff that people could relate to or, you know, I think it was a lot of self therapy for him too. I mean, I don't know that John had the best childhood, you know, and, um, you know, I think it was kind of like therapeutic for him to kind of, you know, it's like John Lennon used to always say about it's the angry people that are always going on about love and peace, you know, because they need to. And I think for John, it was kind of like that. I like that. I mean, I don't like that someone has to, but I, I like that, uh, you know, that kind of thought process because mm-hmm. it is, it does seem to be true. Like I, I was actually watching something last night and it was saying how like some of the most deeply creative people have like, you know, a lot of like uh, mood disorders and things like that because like it just, there's like a correlation I'm not a doctor, everybody. So, but you well, know what I mean? Like, there's definitely something about that. I mean, people that can look at things from a different point of view. I mean, the same thing goes for like comedians, anybody that can like that is able to look at things from like a completely different angle. I mean, that's kind of what makes that's what creativity is, I think. And like a real genius is often kind of, I think, you know, goes hand in hand with maybe some form of mental illness at times you know the ability to think differently yeah you see that with like you said with a lot of musicians and comedians and people like that where you know musicians and comedians are you know not always the happiest people they're not always the most well-adjusted people they're you know oftentimes tortured and stuff and you know that's how i I think i think it's like you're saying when when people are we're coming well, I was saying like people who are, you know, coming from a different perspective, we're seeing reality in a slightly different way. And maybe like it, it, it makes you feel like, you know, like you're not part of it in some way. And so like you have, you know, there's this, there's like a need to express this thing, a need for people to understand, you know, what's, what's going on. And, you know, it's not a need. It's sort of like if you tell somebody something about an experience you have that they've never had you know, they're still not going to understand your experience and you're going to feel bad having told them about it. But but <laughs> it still feels better than saying nothing, you know? And so I think you find like a lot of artists and musicians and and, and, uh, and comedians, you know, they're they're misanthropic in some way, right? <laughs> and I think that was probably certainly true of all of us, you know? We were very eclectic and weird. We were weird even with each other. So I'm sure like in our own lives, we were <laughs> probably even weirder than that. Yeah, we were a pretty odd group. <laughs> of people to come together. I mean, very different. Everybody had a very strong voice and opinion. And, you know, there weren't really any passive members. Everybody, you know, we were very democratic and that made it impossible to do things at time. But, um, you know, it was it was never really, really easy. I would say that. Ditto. <laughs> you guys lasted a long time. I mean, you know, despite all that. Well, I think we, I think we genuinely liked each other. I mean, we fought like brothers at times, but I think we all respected and liked each other and we liked what we were doing. I mean, like we believed in what we were doing. Um, so 
kind of kind of kept us going. Yeah, we were a weird yeah. band. We were never a smart band. Like bands today, I think, are just so smart in the way they go about it. Everybody has such an eye for the ultimate prize. Everybody's like out, they want to be famous or they want to be huge. And we were just, we were kind of like, you know, impetuous, kind of stubborn teenagers a lot of the times. We would always, if people went right, we went left and, you know, we never made it easy for ourselves. Yeah. Jason. Yeah, I got one question for you both. Say, you look like you got something on your mind. I did, I did. I, I just wanted to know what the both of you thought about listening to this record now in 2021. What are your thoughts when you look back on listening to this now? And John? <laughs> I'll, try to, I'll try to feel that. So, yeah, listening to it now. Uh, well... What I like, the things that I like about it or liked about it originally, I think I like now just as much. Um, and honestly, like, I like, I love like the rawness, you know, like a lot of times my favorite record from bands is not, you know, their biggest commercial success record or, or whatever. It's, it's the one where it's like, I can hear them in the, like in their rehearsal studio, you know, cause that's where we spend so much of our time. Like the, the sound of it, it, it it just launches me right back to like, you know, being in that rehearsal space and, and playing those songs in that time. Um, and it's, it's like, it's, you'd think that it would have been long enough to have some other kind of perspective on it. Like I can, I can see this thing from a, from a sort of just purely musical standpoint, but I, I really, I can't, I think still, I think it still is just so, so kind of present and, and real the way that it was at the time. And, uh, what it does is it kind of works like it's like a time machine basically if i'm listening to it it just kind of flashes me right back to like all the kind of a, the emotion and kind of you know potential like feeling of potential like within the music and the band and um yeah i like it yeah i when i hear if i, if I listen to those songs I, I can remember the excitement of you know it was all new to us we and we were you know, we, it was breaking out of, we'd all just kind of been into punk rock. So this was like new and we were doing kind of more adventurous stuff. And I mean, I just remember all the practices back then. We used to practice fairly often. And I was always so excited when we got to like learn a new song or if Rodney brought a song in or just that, that part of it, you know, and I, I can remember some of these songs when we were first working them up and thinking, you know, as they took shape, you know, how much I liked them. And, um, when I listen to it now, too, especially some of the songs, I think we were way more ambitious in our songwriting in the beginning. Like, you know, some of these songs have like, you know, six, seven, eight different parts in them. And, you know, it's like, you know, would you do that now? I mean, but that's what makes it kind of cool because it's people are often more creative when they kind of don't know what they're doing. You know? Yeah. It's, yeah. It's kind of. I, I always kind of like when I actually started to actually kind of learn guitar more and the way chords fit together and all that stuff, like, it automatically kind of kills some of that creativity because like a song like Sage, which is on the first one, has some odd changes that are you normally probably wouldn't do. Like they're not technically correct, you know, right. But that's what kind of makes it cool when I hear it now. It's nice. I mean, it's definitely the less, you know, kind of the more creative and kind of the better the songs can be in a way, you know? 
Yeah. So I wanted to sort of following up on that before we uh, wrap up. A lot of the bands we talk to don't have a, I don't want to say vast, but a, a large catalog like Sensefield has. You know, a lot of times, you know, because we're dealing with hardcore, a lot of times it's like one album or an album and a seven inch or whatever. To this day, like if you ever want to play somebody a Sensefield record, like out of your catalog, what's the one where if they're like, oh, you were in a band, what, uh, what did you guys sound like? And what, what would you direct them towards? I guess most of us would probably say building just because that kind of ended up being the kind of go-to record. At the time, it wasn't. You know, when we put that out, people were like, eh, play the stuff off of, <laughs> off of Kill for Less, you know, eh. but then within time that became the record the kind of the one you know um so usually i tell people oh, listen listen to this one this is the one people seem to like you know doesn't mean i like it the best but you know what about you john well honestly i mean i don't know what i would direct them to specifically yeah probably i would you know say something about building but I think what I, what I have done when people are like, what does your band sound like? If I have forced into the situation of having to play something, I'll, I'll just bring up the artist thing and hit shuffle and see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> I like that and then, too. And then try like to explain it. it, you know, like, like, well, we were like 15 or whatever. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> That's good. Well, I'm definitely, you know, excited to hopefully get to, talk with you guys about the building record because like i said that's the one where we've been hit up a lot like can't wait till you get to building so it's one of those albums where and see i had no idea that it because as soon as i heard it that was my entry point to sense field and i, I thought it was the greatest freaking thing like it didn't i didn't need any like incubation time i was just like oh my god i love this band so i'll be definitely curious to kind of dig in and and talk about you know that stuff but um well, Chris, you've you've been on here before, so you know how we always end up. Um, but John, what we do, we do a thing called hot tracks, where we each just pick our favorite song from the record. Um, it can be your favorite, you know, because you remember writing it or you loved playing it live or whatever. But just like your hot track, the um, so we'll, if you, we'll let you go first. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, I'm looking up the album now so I can see what's on. <laughs> uh, let's see. What's my favorite song on this record? Wow. That's a hard pick. I'm going to say Voice or Sage. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> They're both pretty Both good. great picks. Yeah. Jason, you're next. Um, I had a hard time also. Because I think that if I picked up a demo from a band and I heard soft, I would be like back to the future on the phone. This is the sound we've been looking for. <laughs> <laughs> but um, this is so strange because I'm normally a big lyric and vocal person. But I think that Nova has this ending where it's got this awesome lead guitar that just clicks with the bass and the drums into John's voice at the end, that that's my hot track. That was actually, that, that was definitely one of our very first songs, I think. Mm -hmm. 
That was like a straddler from Reason to Believe to Sensefield, what I remember. Oh, oh okay. nice. Are there any other ones you can think of off here, just off the top of your head that were, because I remember if I recall correctly, when we talked last time, you basically said that like you guys were writing stuff that was a little different. And then you're like, well, we may as well do a new band basically. Like, like on, on this record, believe it or not, there's only that one. That's a, that was a holdover. Actually, there's more probably on building, believe it or not, that were early Sensefield songs. Cause we'll, building we'll it. Save it up, yeah. Yeah, we'll go about on that later. Yeah, uh, all that that excites me very much. Yeah, that's awesome Sorry. to hear. I'm a nerd with that, but yeah, that that's well, I wasn't expecting to hear that. That's great. Um, uh, yo, you know, um, I like the quote unquote what, what I consider demo versions of some of the songs on this record. It's, I, I like voice. Um, you know, it's, it, it sounds a little different and I thought that would be my hot track. But then as I listened to this album again, for the first time in a long time, I was really struck by chimney and, um, I, that's my hot track. I just think it's like, it was, it, <laughs> this whole album just reminds me of being a teenager and growing up here in orange County and being, it was literally like part of the soundtrack or the soundscape of my teenage years. And it just feels like my junior and senior year, it was one of the records that was always playing in someone's car or someone's bedroom. So it's so nostalgic. And uh, for whatever reason, listening to it in 2021, Chimney is my go-to. I used to like that one too. We used to play that one a lot. It used to be a staple in the early days of our live shows. We always... It's always a fun one to play. It was a Rodney tune. Yeah, it was a good song. And it, it, I think it got, it was one of those ones that got banished from the playlist basically at some point. <laughs> no, I never, never really revisited. <laughs> yeah. Towards the end of, you know, playing in Sensefield, were there old songs like that where it just was, you know, not anymore? Like when you started getting bigger and bigger shows, how deep into the catalog did you go? I mean, honestly, there were some, like, Sage and Voice were, like, absolute mainstays. Like, we always played those. Like, mm -hmm. Christ, I don't think we ever didn't play those songs. I know they used to really piss Rodney off. He's like, God, can we just not play Voice tonight? <laughs> we always did. So those, I mean, that's the thing. This record, they it has a few, like, Soft and Found You, those all, and Trip Home, those always got played, like, throughout the entirety, you know, the entire history of the band. So it's, yeah, there's actually a lot of, yeah, main tunes on this one. And there's others like, yeah, they just never, Nova got played in the early days. And then some, at some point we just forgot about it. Same with Chimney. Yep. And, and like, you know, same like familiar that disappeared pretty early. Ideity, maybe like after the building tour, I don't know how many times we played Ideity. Or, yeah. That one went away. Yeah. Still a pretty good ratio of outtakes. Anyways, yeah, still a pretty good ratio of like early. I mean, to play some because some bands, you know, we've all probably seen bands where you're like, oh, why didn't they play anything off the first record? You know, like they they completely ignore like, especially when they have a larger catalog. Um, they yeah, see, once again, we were. <laughs> 
We did the opposite. We played older songs and never played the new songs. You know, we would routinely do that. We would never play the new songs on the new record, maybe one or two. And we would just mainly kind of play like an overview of the whole catalog. Where it's not a bad way to do it though either. Yeah. yeah. That's how Kiss do it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but but, uh, just like Kiss, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you guys are just like Kiss. Um, just so pick up my, back on and we're on stage tomorrow. No, no problem. <laughs> my, um, my hot track uh, is going to be voice. I remember there were people saying, I can't believe you guys did the Killed for Less episode and no one's hot track was voice. And I was like, well, that's because I'm I'm saving it for this one. Um, since I already picked Found You for Killed for Less. But yeah, both those, I mean, they're just, there's just so many great songs on here. Um, but something about voice, that's the one for me, the hot track. Yeah, that, that one was always popular. It's probably because of the way it comes in when it gets loud and stuff. And that one, at some point, that one used to terrify Rodney when we had to play it. Like the fact that he had to do that little intro all by himself, he would get all freaked out. That one, one remember we stopped playing Wondering Time because of the incident. Oh, like, yeah. <laughs> oh, I love that uh, song. Yeah, it's a great song. And, but the vo- I, I, I'm going to have to go with you on this. I, the voice, the demo of it, I just, I always love that demo. There's something about the rawness of it that I, I like it. I, I think the other ones may be better, but I don't care. I like this one better. You know, I mean, I don't, I don't know what that is, but something about this, this, the version on this record is kind of my favorite too. Yeah, there's just like an urgency to to it, and uh, like a youthful energy. Um, and actually, before we get to Chris's hot track, that was what I wanted to ask: was what was the it, incident? Um, no, no, ahead. we'll save, we gotta save that for building. <laughs> okay. We gotta save that for building. Okay. But my question would be since this was like kind of pre-internet and even though in the inside, you guys say this is previously released material. Did a lot of people think like this was your second album when you were playing and then be like, Oh, why does your second album have songs that are already on? I think so. Yeah. We tended to re-record stuff here and there a lot and without even really thinking about it, I think, I think we recorded Sage like three times, but we released it twice. I don't know. Maybe the same thing with voice, but um, yeah, I seem to recall people thought that was like the new record. It's like, no, no, just demos or whatnot. It's kind of weird because we did we did re-record so many songs. Like it felt like just so many times, and it wasn't like we didn't have new material. We always had too much new material. Even like it was, it was like just a weird <laughs> sort of a happenstance yeah. in a way that we were just constantly a couple times we were sort of like pressured into re-recording a couple songs, you know, sort of like, that's your best song. You need to re-record that. I'm like, Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. We had a lot of that. Like, you know, this song is so good. It's, it just didn't get the right treatment and people would, should, yeah. And we were like, yeah, of course people should like our songs, but you know, like, we, we already recorded right. it. They heard it, you know, like where we are, where we are, let's move on. Yeah. <laughs> well, back then it was different. Like now it's almost like, yeah, it's like, well, it's already up. We already have a version of it up on Spotify that anyone can hear. But I guess back then it was like, well, if, they, if people don't have that, the Sensefield CD, self-release CD, you know, and the only thing they have is Killed for Less, well, you know, why don't you put some of the stronger tracks on there or whatever? That, that's what I would at least think 
Sure, but we we were almost exclusively a marketing resistant band. I mean, there was <laughs> it's true. Like the idea is if more people hear it, they'll like it. And I think that probably would be true. But at the same time, we had <laughs> we had some kind of a thing that you know made us difficult difficult, I think, for marketing people to understand and for them to actually like move forward too. Mm-hmm. Did these songs get any radio play? Maybe some college radio play. I think Found You, didn't that used to get played? Yeah. I think there was, we had weird, we had weird plays. Like there was, there was some radio play, college radio play from, for some of these songs. Um, I think Familiar, there was some Dutch TV or radio show that used it as like, (laughs) as the intro to their show. We still oh, get wow. like like four dollars every year or something. That is a random one. <laughs> Spend it wisely. That's right. So, uh, Chris, what's your uh, your hot track on here? Well, I think I'm going to go with um, Dreams, just because I kind of I can remember writing that song and it was sort of a bit of a stream of consciousness kind of a thing that just kind of meandered about and. Um, and it's an oddball one, you know, it's it, it kind of like the non sequitur here. It doesn't really fit theme wise with a lot of the other material. It's, it's a waltz time thing, which I always liked. And, um, you know, it was kind of like the nice song and whatnot. And I don't know, a lot of people seem to end up liking that one. Um, but it's not one that we ever routinely played live, uh, for whatever reason. Probably just because it was hard to play. <laughs> you know, it's too, it always seemed like it was too mellow to kind of throw in the middle of a set or something. I don't know. But um, yeah, I don't know. I'm still fond of that one. Nice. Dreams is, Dreams is legitimately like, is is just a great song. It's not even just a great sense for the song. It's a great rock and roll song. Like it's, it's so good. It was actually kind of didn't fit us in a way, <laughs> but also, you know, like I think the songwriting and the the craftsmanship that Chris put into that song, it's it's so good and so flawless. Like you don't you don't hear that it's a complicated sort of chordal structure going on. It just sounds like this kind of like almost Roy Orbison kind of vibe moving through it, and it's such a great song. That's a, it's thanks, John. Yeah, and it actually was. <laughs> That kind of vibe was, was, I think it was the one that, um, what's the guy that did the Twin Peaks song? The, uh, God, what, what's, you know, that 50s, um, Chris Isaac. Remember when that was oh, oh, yeah. Okay, yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. We could I think get. I heard that and I, I liked that kind of swampy kind of, you know, sound. And that's kind of what started that song. Oh, nice. if, but hey, you should hear the uh, the duet version <laughs> uh, <laughs> we did with Mandy Moore and John singing a duet on that song that exists for no one to hear. Wait, that's for not real? a joke. That actually happened. Wow, I've, I've heard that. <laughs> How, How did that come exclusive? About? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I think her manager or somebody was thinking about having her do a, doing that song. I, I believe that's what it was. And so um, they took a version and we had like a multi-track version and her and Bunch did like a duet in the studio. This is before she was like as big as she is now, but she was sort of a pop star, but 
Um, but yeah, that exists somewhere. I think I have a copy of it somewhere. It's kind of silly, but. <laughs> that yeah. is not, definitely not what I, that was not on my 2021 bingo card, as they say. No, no. That's awesome, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, guys, thank you so much again for taking time to speak with us. Um, we really appreciate it. As I've said many times, Sensefield's one where, you know, a lot of people are excited for whenever a Sensefield episode comes up. And that was just a great time to talk and learn some cool stuff. And uh, appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very Thanks, much. Guys. Yeah, guys, thanks for coming out. And then, uh, so now I'll say, uh, I think this is 37. So we have a little bit till, I think building is 46. The rate we're going, that'll be a couple months, but hopefully we can get Rodney on as well. Um, yeah, we'll try to get Rodney back online for that one. Good. Try to get all three of us. Yeah, please. Really appreciate it. Like I said, I'm dying to hear a lot about uh, that one is super important to me. So, yeah, cool. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. You too. And uh, we'll nice talk to you soon. You. Yeah. All right. All right. Thank, nice thank you for hanging with us. Thanks. Where does the time go? I think it's Chubby and the Gang's new record. Oh, I've heard I've heard a lot of good yeah. things. I've never listened like to them before. I don't like. I don't like. Um, really? I do love for me. I love oh, the turn, turn style. Um, nope. But yeah, I it's awesome. Nope. Love. I love that Balaram Shakti has made it his full time job to just defend the turn style record online. <laughs> like I just picture him like sitting there like all late at night. <laughs> All right, I got this copy. It's just funny. I I said to him, I was like, dude, you got to get off the internet, man. Because <laughs> he's like yeah. sending me the stuff he's saying. I'm like, dude, but um, let's kick it back in. Do this hey, outro. You know, I was today years old. Today is Sunday, August 29th, the year of our Lord, 2021. I was today years old when I discovered that Sensefield was two words. Ah, I legit, since 1994, when I first encountered Sensefield, have always put it as one word. And really, always. I I don't know why. And looking 
finally, literally looking at the cover of this record that we talked about today made me realize, fuck, it's sense field, not <laughs> sense field, like straight edge, not straight edge. Straight edge. Like count me out, not, <laughs> yeah, not CMO. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But uh, Hav, did you... So you mentioned like this was like a big part of, you know, just being around Orange County and, yeah. and you know, because obviously they were local. Do you remember like, like these actual CD EPs being sold and stuff? Not at like all. Seeing them around? No, no? I, d- I don't remember anything before Killed for Less. Okay. okay. Um, and that was, uh, that was, you know, my introduction. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I mean, honest, I've said like, oh, go, go ahead. Sorry. I I, I kind of don't even remember how I discovered them other than my friends were like, hey, here's this band that we all like now. And it was kind of like a, a almost a starter pack for us. It was like far side into another sense field. For, for me, it was kind of that order. But then the thing about sense field was like girls liked it. You know, and when you're a 17 or 18 year old boy, you want to hang out with girls. You want to hang out with friends. You want to you want a big group of people to be able to sit around in a house and listen to music. And if you put on outspoken or undertow or unbroken, um, not all of the like, you know, maybe cheerleaders from your high school are going to enjoy that. But if you put on sense field which to me this record to my untrained ears sounds like third eye blind or uh blind melon you know it just sounds kind of like something that could have been on k-rock and i don't mean that in a pejorative manner in this instance but it just sounds like normie radio rock it doesn't sound like hardcore it doesn't sound like screamo. It doesn't sound like emo even. It just sounds to me like rock, especially the use of acoustic guitar. You hear 12 string, you hear mandolin, dulcimer. These are instruments that you don't really get in those aforementioned subgenres. So I, I think- thought it was more like, to me, it's like college rock, which like that's, I mean, if you look at, what you know i listen to that's yeah. like my bread right. and butter. so for me college rock is like early rem dinosaur jr eh, maybe some like mud honey you know kind of like the sub pop stuff but then that stuff starts taking off and starts becoming a little bit more accepted by the mainstream by 95 96 right by in 93 screaming trees was still kind of like underground i'm I'm just to use an example but then with the advent of bigger tours and package tours and festivals and stuff that stuff just gets a broader audience and 120 minutes and stuff like that so to me this morning i actually drove through irvine california which for a long time was the safest safest city in america and which has also been home to many hardcore superstars including members of inside out far side head first you know um hard stance whatever all those all those types of bands and i was like 
this just sounds like it could be on the radio right now and not my iPod at the time in the in the nineties. So that's that's my thoughts about nineteen nineties sense field. See my my intro to them, as I've said fifty five times, and people are probably like, oh shut up, was building. So like these ones were like going back to killed for less. You know, I told my Eminem story with killed for less. If you remember on that episode, uh, you remember that one, Jason? I remember you you enjoyed that story. If you forget it now, what was remember, it? Did, do you have money I, to buy I, either the Eminem CD or the no, where I, CD? I bought the Eminem CD uh, when it because I was going to Warp Tour and he was playing, and I thought the song was cool, like the whatever the first hit was, Slim yeah. Shady. And then I got it home, and it was the edited version. Okay. So I took it back to Best Buy. And they didn't have any more. And I was just like, I'll just exchange it for, and it was killed for less. Cause I love building so much. I was like, well, and that was, there wasn't, cause Sensefield had a big gap between building and then tonight and forever. Cause they were in that like major label limbo, which, you know, we'll yeah. t- talk to them about when we do building. But um, I was like, oh, I may as well get like the early, cause you ever have a band where you get the one record and you just like it so much it almost has a reverse effect where you just don't like, you don't even bother with the other stuff for a long time. And that's like what that was like for me, where some of this, like I don't have the memories attached to this self-titled if I'm being honest, like I do with building like building. I theoretically wouldn't have to even listen to, to prep for that episode because it's, I have it. Like I can play that in my head. It's just such an important album. So I, found myself and this is probably a hot take i actually found myself enjoying this uh buddha record more than killed for less which i I Mm. feel like a lot of people are going to say you're crazy and i'm not a i am not a demo was better guy you guys know this most people know this but i don't know something about this one i was like oh like you know and and they're both good records but just like for me it's like building and on that was my sense like to me building was like their like revolver you know what i mean like like and uh i just kind of like that's like the real stuff i reach for is 96 and on for sense field yeah this was in all honesty i think this what we prepared for this probably for a couple weeks i think was the first time i listened to this record start to finish was a couple weeks ago but I can also say I'm slowly but surely, much like you latched onto Iceburn, I am becoming a Sensefield fuckboy. They're, they're, I mean, they're they're yeah. honestly great. It's it's and it's they hit the they check the boxes for me for what I like with music. Yeah, um, I just think something about the, the building just has such a it's a hard it's a hard you can't really yeah. overcome the attachment I have to that, but yeah, both killed for less, killed for less is really good. I just, I found me myself, myself. I found myself. <laughs> I found myself. That's that enjoying, to you. <laughs> <laughs> I found, I found myself enjoying this one actually more than killed for less. Maybe it was the rawness of it. And the, the fact that it was right after reason to believe, which I love that reason to believe LP. Um, I don't know. But also, it's. I think it's also unfair to compare the three because this wasn't necessarily planned to be an LP. It's just kind of a compilation of their self, right. 
released CDEPs. But if you look at it on Spotify, you know, or if you look at it and you don't know any better or the history of the band, you're going to think this is, uh, yeah, this is their second LP. And it came out yeah. the, you know, the same year as killed for less or shortly after it. So, yeah. But, um, yeah, I love, I mean, I love Sensefield. Um, and it was great to talk to those guys, but yeah, a lot of times what I love with this podcast is the stuff that I wasn't as familiar with getting really into, like you said, like engine kid and ice burn. Yeah. And now I love both. So. Did you see the uh, Seinfeld ripoff Sensefield shirts that they had online at some point? Yeah, I remember those. Woodwear, woodwear. I don't. I don't like those. I don't like those kinds of shirts. Like like a ripoff shirt. I don't or? like cultural mashups with hardcore bands. I don't think it's funny or cool. Oh damn! Like I like the, the Sensefield sign. Like the one. Taylor Swift Earth Crisis one or the Judge Seinfeld one. I don't. I don't enjoy that. I wouldn't wear it. Subway Snapcase. No. Uh, that's yeah, that wasn't one. that's that's a hardcore band ripping off a a Fast logo a logo. <laughs> yeah. I don't like it when artists, quote unquote artists, take a hardcore band or punk band and mash it up with a TV show or something like that. I don't. Uh, I just that's not my thing. Wait, no, but Sensefield did it. They made. Are you? I think you're. So Sensefield did like Snapcase when they did the Snapple shirts. Mm-hmm. Sensefield just had ones that were the Seinfeld logo, but it said. But it said Sensefield in two words. Sensefield. I also don't like that. Uh, woodwork. <laughs> awkward. <laughs> sorry, sorry, but hey, they're gone now, so you can't order them even if you wanted to. But well, you could find I, it on what I want maybe. is yeah, I want one of those Lakers colored long. Oh fuck yeah. Absolutely. Bulletproof vest. <laughs> yes. Because I know exactly what Chris was talking about. The 90 shirts where the, the ink was like, oh, like stuck to Yeah. It. Yeah, it's bulletproof. Which I hate, but yeah. at the same time, would wear. Um, Big sizes only, too. I, I have to say, I, I'm not a huge Sensefield fan. And Killed for Less, I like. This record I enjoyed listening to. After this, I completely checked out. And I've the only time I've ever heard building was when I purchased the CD at a used bookstore for a dollar about a year ago. That's the one one and only time I've ever heard it. Uh I'm just I'm just not really, it's not really my thing. Now Objectively, I can appreciate Sensefield because outstanding musicians, songwriters, everything sounds good, but it just kind of never really, really clicked for me. And after this record, anything that we talk about on this podcast will be my first time hearing it. But you were besides reissues and things like that, right? No, I like I've never heard a note of Sensefield beyond. Oh, any the, Sensefield? I thought you meant any Reverend. Yeah, no, any Sensefield, like, any gotcha. Sensefield. Uh, so, like, have you listened to Building yet? W- the one time I bought it, put it in my CD player on the way home, and that's the last time I listened to it. So, I still have it over here with my CD, my compact disc collection. It didn't stick with you at all. No, 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 no don't, don't. Apparently, uh, uh, no. I'm, I'm just sorry. gonna say right now, it didn't stick with me. I don't enjoy it. It's not for me. That's see, that's crazy to me. Um, and I get it. Everyone's yeah. entitled to their own opinion. I'm not, but like to me, 
that was one that was immediate, like I like till then was immediately. And I think I might've heard, cause it was, it, I, my intro to them might've been the in-flight program, which is actually after. What song is even on there? I, I guess Yildi. I can look at it rather than It's less than oh, two really? minutes long. It's yeah, it's a minute and 30 seconds. Long, and it is just, I heard that and I was like, oh, it's kind of like Texas is the reason, but like not, like I didn't even know how to categorize them. And then building uh, someone in my high school had it and we did like a CD trade. I forget what I traded him and, he, and I had that and I, whatever. And obviously I forget what I traded him. So I made out because I had building and yeah. that became like, you know, it's a top five revelation release for me. I, I got to see them when that was the new album. Um, they covered the Smiths. It was awesome. Like they were, I just, you know, I, and it'll be talked about more in, in when we do building, but like, I was absolutely devastated to hear about John Bunch, uh, you know, when, when he passed just because I'm just a big fan and loved his lyrics Great singer. Great, great singer. Yeah. Great and, and he was, he's just a person that you never really heard anything bad about, you know, like he just was just this like larger than life guy. Cause he was literally like seven feet tall or something like that. Like he was huge, like yeah. height wise. Um, but yeah, I'm very excited to get to that one. Hopefully Hav will at least maybe have to listen in, in an objective way again. That's the thing is like, it's my job to listen to all of these records, you know, like I, I, even if I don't like it, I have to listen to it and I can't just be like, fuck, this sucks. I have to be able to find something uh, objectively, you know, that I'm able to be critical about not criticize, but be critical about. So I could be like, yo, the guitars are fucking recorded really well on this album. And then, but I could also in the same sentence say, but I just didn't really, th th this isn't for me. This isn't just something that I like to listen to. And I think that's okay. So I will give, I'll give building a shot, whatever else we have to listen to. I'll give it a shot, but uh, just know that anything after that, right? Because that's is that the next thing they well, released? That's the only, but that's the only other thing. But is Rev. that well, yeah. even beyond Rev? Is that was that their next record after B Buddha? Yes. Yeah, I was. Yeah, uh, so, building, and then five years later, they did a record called Tonight and Forever, which is fantastic, and that had their biggest hit on it, and it was on a label called like network, network or something not right. network sound but the, the label that did cold play was that and the um the the album that had a song on roswell yes great song and that i think they toured with cold play in the very beginning i, oh, I wanted wow. to ask them but i figure we'll save that but maybe i'm making this up it's like the mandela effect but um i swore they did but i don't know but we'll that's more we can just ask next time. So, I mean, that's all I got, honestly. Yeah, I don't have anything else. That's it. What, that's, what it. Is that? that's it. Yo, I'm Sensefield. I like it a lot. Love it. One I of the big it. four. One of the big four. Sensefield, 
into another far side. Oh, of like Texas, the, the reason. Yeah. Mm. You're going to do the big four tour for quote unquote Rev Emo. Yeah. <laughs> Remo, very nice. Remo. It's, it's nice. Um, I'm here. Give me a, I'll give me a fake thumbs up. Reve- yeah. Revelation summer. Revelation summer. Yeah. Oh man, I can't wait to um, talk to Norm about so, Texas. The reason I'm not going to say what's next time because yeah, I don't think we really know. No, we no. don't. <laughs> but it'll be cool. That I can promise you. Okay, well, uh, <laughs> thanks for joining us on this episode of the Where It Went podcast, and we'll see you on the next one. And you'll just have to find out what it is. Bye. You can follow us on Instagram to find out. You can follow us on, you can become a patron and find out in the Discord, and we might tell you there. But otherwise... We definitely gotta... give more information on the Discord than we give on the Instagram. Yeah, and because I know he did it one time, Andrew Klein from War Records. If you're listening to this, love you, man. Bit of bow. That's it. Bit of bow. All right. Well, bit of bow. Bit of bow. See you next time. Bye. What's up, y'all? This is Javier from the Where It Went podcast. Just wanted to give a special bit of bow to our top tier patrons. Billy Tunnell, Bram Hubble, Brandon Gavell, Brian Skiffington, Brooklyn, Cesar Falcon, Chad Keplinger, David Palmer, Dirk Focused, G. Jason Head, Greg Jackson, Jeremy Holohan, John Cowell, Quiet Keith, Maddie Cox, Nate of Head to Wall Fame, Rob Moran, Tim Shear, Siren Records, and Dollar Slice Bootlegs. Like I said before, if you want more information about how to help us out every month or just to check out other cool stuff, go to www.whereitwentpodcast.com. Otherwise, We'll see you. We'll see you next episode. Bidipo.